0: Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger, and I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. My book is all about helping people love and be loved more than ever. I believe we all have a superhero of love inside of us, yes, even you, superhero. And in this podcast, I talk to people who are all about helping us all tap into that superhero. May this episode make a difference for your heart. Let's get this party started. Welcome, superheroes. We are here today with Leon Dolan, who is somebody that I met 7,000 years ago when, when um, the co author of my first book. And Judy O'Neill and I were on the Satellite Sisters. Leanne Dolan is one of the Satellite Sisters. And if you haven't heard of the Satellite Satellite Sisters, please go find their podcast now. It originally it was a radio show, a terrestrial radio show at the beginning, but it they soon became pioneers in the podcasting industry as the Satellite Sisters.
1: So they, you paved the way for me, Leanne. Thank you for you know what the way. I, I'm as happy to do it. I mean. When we lost our radio gig at like in 2008, I just took my iMac, the whole computer, into the Apple store and said to the 12-year-old genius there, I think I'd like to start one of these podcasts. Can, can you show me how to edit in GarageBand? And he was like, sure, lady, you're going to start a podcast. And that... I mean, true story, so uh so I just taught myself garage band, and I was I'm not a particularly talented editor or very good at audio engineering, but that that's how we became podcast pioneers we We just weren't done talking, so we just figured it out, and yeah uh, okay, and I, let's tell them who wasn't done talking, who the
0: satellite sisters are, and how it came, even that you had a radio show before the podcast,
1: sure, yeah, Great story. I tried. I'd done satellite sisters with my four real sisters for twenty years. So not her uh, fake sisters, her real sisters. Yeah. <laughs> well, people ask that, are you real sisters? Oh, like, do they really? Oh, I'm oh. so sorry. Oh. No, that's the that's the second question they ask. Are you real sisters? Like they think it's some metaphor, you know, term of endearment. No, they're my actual sisters. And uh so That's same parents, you know, and then I always have to explain all kinds of things like, no, we're all the same race because we're just same sisters and we're the same parents and everything. Um, But yeah, my actual sisters, I do the show with them. Um, But 20 years ago, my sister Liz, who was in marketing and communication, and she had a big global chief marketing job. She just thought, I don't understand why there's nothing on the radio that sounds like my friends and I when we talk or my sisters and I when we talk when we call each other, or we get together for coffee, like couldn't that be a show like a bunch of women sitting around talking and this was before the view by the way so uh or the any of the housewives or any any of that stuff you know um it was just a response to radio was all male you know all politics or all sports you know there wasn't or else it was you know fm radio it was a different thing but talk radio there wasn't really any talk radio for women so um so yeah, we did, and it all—it
0: all had a kind of a political bend too, and yours was yeah. not at all political. Yours, no. yours was just being human, really. Yes,
1: I mean we talk about current events, but not through a lens that is blue or red. You know, it doesn't, and and it's—we're never going to have a politician on the show to spit out talking points, but. It was a good idea. None of us had any professional radio experience. We were teachers and I was a writer and a new mother and uh, my sister Monica's a nurse. My sister Julie was in college admissions, but uh, we put together a little two-page pitch and then Liz knew like one person in public radio and it was the president of WNYC, which is the biggest public radio station in the country. And we sold the pitch to, uh, to her. But because um, they were looking for new voices, looking for non-public radio sounding voices. And uh, at least that's what they said initially. And then they tried to turn us into public radio voices. So, you know. I didn't hear that part. That's great. That's yeah. like the Behind the scenes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, but then we had to go find our own money because maybe you've heard public radio has no money. Right So right. many tote bags, but not really any money so, so many tote bags. so um so then we had to form a company and get make get money and and it was so it became a much bigger deal than we thought it was going to be like one hour of entertaining radio so that 's how we started, and we were on public radio for three years, and then we moved to ABC Radio, where you were on the show uh so we were in the disney um buildings in burbank but by the time we're on abc we were doing six hour six days of radio three hours live a day so 18 hours of live radio a week which was i mean my god bridget you'll say anything by friday like you'll just (laughs) say anything what i mean we we have to pitch story ideas and i'd just be driving to the office like what's on that billboard can i talk about that for 10 minutes like it just so But it was great. I mean, we loved it. It was a great job. But then Disney. I have to tell you,
0: so we, so Judy and I were on to talk about our book, The Lazy Woman's Guide to Just About Everything, which is, you know, is, is, is like a girlfriend thing. It's like a sisterly thing too, right? Like it's, it was very, very uh, perfect for your show, but we loved you guys and I still love you guys. I love tapping into you and hearing you guys talk because this is the superhero of love podcast and it, you totally fit in here because you guys are, you're all about taking care of each other's hearts and taking care of the listeners' hearts too. Like, how can we, how can we help everybody just walk through life? And right now we're all having lots of trouble walking through life, right? So um, we're actually recording this, you know, amidst, um, um, I haven't heard if there's a lockdown today and in a curfew in Los Angeles today, we're both sitting in Pasadena, but um, but you know we're we lots of lots of um, protests and um, and we're also in the middle of this pandemic, which was its own thing, which is why I wanted you to come on to talk yeah. about taking care not over. of your heart during <laughs> right now. <laughs> so, FYI. But my initial intention to get you on right. at this time was twofold: was to talk about taking kids because you guys you guys are so great about helping us all take care of our hearts. So I wanted you to come on about taking care of our hearts in the pandemic. But also, Leanne, who has two
1: LA Times uh, best-selling novels. The two novels are Elizabeth, the First Wife, and Helena Pasadena, and You're the Best is a collection of essays I wrote with my sisters. And bum, 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 the new book, which came out during
0: this pandemic, and so yes. that's why it's super important. I, I'm trying to have all women authors who have their books coming out during this pandemic on the show. So tell us about your
1: new book. So my new book is called the Sweeney sisters and it's not, it's not about us, but it's, seems vaguely autobiographical, but it's about uh, three Irish Catholic sisters from Southport, Connecticut, where we're from. Uh, they're all redheaded. None of us. Well, we have one natural redhead. Uh, and uh, But they've sort of drifted apart in their early 20s, but they're brought back together by the death of their father, who happens to be a very famous novelist, like a literary lion, kind of a John Irving type. So when he dies, it's sort of a big blow to the family and, and to his estate and what's going to happen and then they discover after his death uh, that there's a fourth Sweeney sister, thanks to an over-the-counter DNA test. They discover this fourth sister. And so that's in the, right in the beginning, and then the plot takes off from there. It's sort of what, you know, just really very simply asking the question, <laughs> what would you do if... Like in the middle of your life, some stranger showed up and said, Hey, I'm your sister. Like, wh- how would that go for you? You know?
0: Yeah. No, you know, I just did a DNA test and did ancestry.com specifically because my cousin was contacted by somebody who was looking for their family. And she said, I'm not a match, but maybe you are. Maybe the percentage that they're matching me on ancestry.com is you. So I. Immediately, I was like, of course, of course, I'll do whatever they want, because I immediately really? think of their heart, and then I, I send it, and then I'm like, wait, wait a second, what about my heart? I'm not sure that, you know, like, what am I doing, right? I was like, but it turns out they were not related. Okay. Okay. They're related to her side, which is, you know, somebody else. But anyway, I I think
1: there are are people that have joyous reunions and then there are other people that do not. And so over the course of, I mean, I was inspired really by a Facebook post on a Satellite Sisters Facebook page that was a a picture of three adult siblings. And the comments was just, uh, we met our new brother this weekend. I'm not going to go into details, but here he is and everyone's giving it the big thumbs up. And I thought, yeah, thumbs up. And then I thought, really though, would it be great? Cause right. like, in a, I mean, in a lot of families, you have your roles, you know, right. when right. you say we take care of each other's hearts, that makes me laugh. Cause I think, well, Julie does anyway, she's the nice one, you know, and like, you know, I mean, so I mean, we're big girl. We're not all like super nice. You know, I mean, various times we can step up, but just in general, like we, we try to support each other. Absolutely. But you know, with some people are the funny ones or the smart ones. Some people can't cook. So they just bring the wine to Thanksgiving because that is all they can handle. And so Right. Sort of imagine a new sibling showing up. What What do they bring to Thanksgiving? Do they come to Thanksgiving? Right. So <laughs> can, I, I just
0: could you write out the list of what
1: you're bringing to the table before I yeah. invite you in. <laughs> so that, that was really the jumping off point for the book. Um, and you have more than the siblings that
0: do the satellite sisters. Yeah, you. yeah.
1: I have. You have three brothers as well. Right. So,
0: so eight kids all told
1: yes i'm the youngest of the eight i'm the youngest so
0: that's a lot so inviting a ninth in there that could be you know that would be cumbersome it's already cumbersome
1: right with eight <laughs> it is and for, and then again like do you do you really want to rethink your parents relationship with whoever no nope no you don't i don't right you know, so i think but talking doing my research you know, there are people that just really let a lot of that go and welcome to new people into their families and into their hearts. And that's pretty impressive, actually. I think it's you so know? beautiful. Yeah.
0: No, I, and I, I actually, I had to make that. I had to have my come to Jesus moment with myself before I got the thing back. Right. Cause it was like, and I was like, no, this will, cause my dad passed away in 2009. So it's like, this would be another piece of him, you know, out there and, you know, uh, but I, I understand, I understand both sides. Um, so, taking care of your heart, though, so um, so you had something happen in the fall, and i heard I heard you guys take care of your heart when that thing
1: happened in the fall, so l- why don 't you tell them what happened in the fall and yeah, so very recently yeah, it was, yeah, uh, so last august i I finally signed up for my first colonoscopy. Um, I so love I'm- that you
0: say signed up like. <laughs> <laughs> like, like hey, it's a fun right. thing. I'm gonna sign up. I'm gonna sign up for <laughs> Goldman.
1: You're right. Okay, that's not the phrase. I'm not a doctor, Bridget. I'm not. A I'm doctor. so sorry. It was so hilarious. <laughs> you are a wordsmith. You are. So- I am not. Oh my god. I'm not diminishing
0: your wordsmith, off okay. In any way, shape, <laughs> or form, you are a wordsmith. And in fact. I'm gonna to prove to them that you're a wordsmith, but but go on.
1: I'm well, I, I feel like I, I should say I really finally got my act together to get my first colonoscopy. Is that and that's legit because I was dragging my feet because I had an a rational fear of um, the anesthesia. I I the prep to me did not bother me. That's just a weight loss opportunity. So I had literally like, you know, signed up for the signed up for the colonoscopy like the week before a wedding I was supposed to go to because I thought, Well, that's good. I'll be slim, you know, I'll get into that dress. Flat stomach. <laughs> I mean that I, had, I There there was no consequence. There's not going to be any consequences of this other than I got the colonoscopy. And because one of my college friends had been bugging me. She, we go away every summer and, you know, as eventually you just start talking about what procedures you've had or haven't had or what meds you're taking. And so when I said, oh, I haven't had my colonoscopy, she bugged me, Bridget. She sent me Texts and those, you know, if you want to know what the perfect use of the poop emoji is, it's to bug your friend to get your colonoscopy, like that. I just get texts like "Have you?" and then boom, 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 you know. So that's hilarious. So I got the colonoscopy, and I thought, well, I did it. Look at me, and I had I felt great, no family history, no symptoms. It, doctor said nothing to be worried about. And then a week later, the results came back. It was cancer. I had had uh, I had cancer, uh, and it was it was such a shock. Like I I didn't even know how to process it.
0: Right. And you had one polyp removed and he assumed, Oh, it doesn't look cancerous. And one polyp, a lot of people have that colonoscopy and they get, yeah. So
1: that's the point I kept saying, that's the point of the colonoscopy. You had the polyp removed, blah, blah, blah. And that is true, but mine was cancerous and was a surprise. So, um, so I had to, then, then you're plunged into a whole different world. I'm sure if you know people that have had cancer, it's like, Monday, everything was Friday. Everything was great. Cause I didn't have cancer. And then Monday when the doctor called me, then I had cancer. That was not right. great. So I, I don't, there's no other way. It was like two different halves of your life. So I, uh, I, I ended up the short story is that I had, um, about 16 inches of my colon removed, uh, my right colon, um, I, it was a stage one cancer, which they only find out after they take your colon out. There's no way to stage it. And and because they had gotten it early, I didn't need any additional chemo or radiation. So if there's a good cancer to get, I got it, but it's still cancer. And uh, it was still major abdominal surgery. And I was still sort of staring down a lot of stuff. I mean, I had literally just I, honest to goodness, handed in the very final manuscript to the book that Monday, and then my. Are doctor, you serious? The synchronicity! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and my doctor called me two hours later. Was like, "Hey, you have cancer." So uh, that is ex- an extraordinary day. Whoa. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was just a. Um, it was. It was like. <laughs> Just when you think you're on top of the world, like the publisher had it. They're like, okay, now you can announce it. The listing's up on Amazon. The cover looks great. Like they had been waiting. And then, so that that was a blow. And it also, it just, it really took a while to sink in. Like, oh, this is a big deal. Like I had had a bunch of uh, speaking engagements that I was doing. I was going to like one conference in Santa Fe that I really wanted to go to and a podcasting conference in Atlanta where I was speaking. I had- I had specifically started to get out in the world after a year of writing the book. And it just took me a while to realize I can't do any of that. Like, what am I doing? And my, it was my, I had a great nurse at Huntington. She ran the, she was like my, my cancer nurse and she ran all my protocols and she's like, if it's going to add stress to your life, don't do it. Hmm. Like, was that really good advice? I That's mean, it great. Was just so simple. I was like, right okay, yeah, you're right. I, I cannot fly to Atlanta two days before surgery when I'm on a special diet. I, I was I, I was kind of crazed. Like I can jam all this stuff in and right. no one has to know. And then I'll just go. Right. I was that like you
0: trying to be normal? Like if you pretend to be normal, then you don't have cancer kind of thing. I don't know.
1: I, I was, yeah. I mean, it was, I think a little bit of denial. Sure. Uh, but it was also like, I just wasn't really ready to tell the world and so, because I didn't know where we were going with it. Like when, if you're not staged, you really don't know what you have. They like could have opened me up and it could have been terrible. I just, I found actually telling people very difficult, emotionally draining, really hard. Uh, you know, as great as, you know, family, friends, it was the same. I told a very small number of people, people come at, you know, cancer with weird biases and And so you never quite know what people are going to say. Sometimes it's not super helpful. So I just found it super draining. And I thought, well, if I could just do a few of these things and then prepare, I won't have to explain to people why I'm backing out because I'm not a backer outer. Ironically, the one thing I had to do do was host a fundraiser for the cancer support community. Like I had done this great uh, ladies night out event for like six years. So I went through that. I just it was, uh, it was a mama Mia themed. <laughs> event. Oh my God. It's Ridiculous now. when I think about it. So uh, all ladies fundraiser, everyone's dressed like mama Mia. I've got a jumpsuit on and, a, and everything. And then like, I had to just grind it out to get through that event. Cause I didn't want to lose it. And, uh, and then the next day I was like, okay, I'm not doing anything else. I'm getting ready for my surgery, but I, you know, oh, I think hot. I would have lost it. I think I would have lost it. Oh my God, you didn't lose yeah, it. that's incredible. Yeah, a couple of times I did, but I was, you know, but it's it's just sobering and it's humbling and a lot of what I think people are going through right now uh, with the pandemic and the stay at home, that's what it's like to have cancer. You know, when you when you don't know how long is this going to last. Boy, I really mm-hmm. don't want to get sick. Can I schedule anything? I can't really schedule anything. I'm just gonna stay at home and see a few people at, it's very, very similar. So I, I think out. that, that nurse's
0: advice too, sorry to interrupt you, but I love that nurse's advice also on if it's going to cause you stress, don't do it. I feel like, like, are you having, are, are you, I'm having trouble juggling where I choose my stressors, right? Like I'm, I'm finding that, you know, generally I'm a warrior and I jump in and just do it, get it done. Like I'm like you, a producer, right? Like just get, right. Get the shit done. And, but I'm not, you know, I'm navigate, I'm just finding myself like turning away from things that are, you know, super draining or stressful and stuff. I feel like I'm following your nurse's advice without her having told it to me.
1: <laughs> well, it's good. I mean, I think, I, I think it is. I have relied really heavily on just the idea like, what is your doctor? do? What your doctor told you? Cause right. my, my surgeon, my oncologist, my gastro were great. I did everything they told me. I did all the prep, right? Like when I got my surgery date, they said you need to get in the best shape of your life. Now is not the time to sit on the couch and eat pralines and gain a bunch of weight. So my doctor, my surgeon's a yogi. He's like, I want you to go to the hardest yoga. We go to the same studio. He's like, I want you to go to the hardest yoga classes. I want you should do this. You know, I did that. Like, They had me up and walking around after surgery. I left that hospital 20 hours after surgery. I walked out of Huntington, like after abdominal surgery, because they were like, we don't want you to get sick in here. And then you need to start walking every day. And, you know, it was, so I did everything and I had a really good recovery. So when this COVID thing popped up, I'm like, I'm just going to the same game plan. I'm going to do everything the doctors say, like, that's what I'm going to do. It's not political. It's not personal. Just going to do that. And the stressors, things like, I'm just going to wear my face mask and my gloves. If you're not wearing a face mask and a glove, I can't stress about that. (laughs) I can can take care of me and that's what I'm going to do. So I use some of the same properties, you know, it's Mm. been super helpful. It didn't freak me out. The pandemic, uh, my husband's like, we've been quarantined since August. So this is not, Oh, I was funny! Like,
0: literally, that's hilarious.
1: Just getting back out, I was like, "Oh, never mind." Okay, <laughs> never mind. Yeah,
0: there's something comforting about, you know, there's major comfort. Obviously, when you're sick, there's major comfort in the doctors and the nurses. But, I mean, wh- what I just what I just pictured was you with this team of people behind you, right? Like, so you have your cancer healing community and your cancer healing team behind you, and it feels like, that uh, that's that's. Well, I think that's that's definitely what I've been developing in the pandemic too, right? Like pockets of friends that are my teams for certain things. We're also in the middle of this, hopefully, dismantling racial injustice, dismantling racism effort right now across the country. How are you, and I know you have two boys. How old are your boys?
1: My boys are now 22 and 25.
0: Oh, wow. Are they in the house or are they away? They're gone.
1: Okay. Yeah, they're (laughs) I mean, they, they, yeah, they, they live elsewhere. One, one is a senior at college and I honestly, I could not be happier, but I know where you're headed with this question, but yeah. No, I'm
0: just wondering how you're all. Yeah. yeah, No, no, we're not
1: all in the house. We're empty nesters. They're doing their own thing where they, where they live. One lives nearby and one lives in the state, in Olympia, Washington, in the state of Washington. Oh, wow. How are
0: you taking care of your heart in this time? And how are you, are you finding yourself, like I was just saying yesterday in a Instagram post that I, I cry like several times a day because it just feels like it's just very heavy and I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of black friends and I, you know, I don't know, I just, I, I, all of a sudden it's like the crushing weight of what I haven't done in the past to, you know, where I've dropped the ball right. myself and, um just the crushing weight of all of it. Like, how are, you, how are you handling it? I think
1: heavy is a good word. I mean, it's heavy. It's, it's a heavy feeling. Uh, and some of it is, as you said, like, boy, I did not have enough awareness or empathy about this. And that's, that's on me. And, uh, and so uh, you, know, you could not watch that video uh, uh, and of George Floyd and not be horrified. So, yeah, I didn't
0: yeah. watch it, but I, I think I got the gist. I mean, I got enough. Yeah, there's right.
1: nothing unequivocal about what happens there. And yeah. so uh, you can re- really understand the rage in that. You know, for things like this, I have a tendency to filter through sort of an intellectual life. And that, I think, is my problem. Like, I feel like I listen to conversations about race and I read Black writers and I I read articles in the new york times and listen to podcasts but i think it has been a slow coming to for me to emotionally engage with these things to really understand what this is like um we recorded a satellite sisters podcast yesterday one one of the things as you know now having a podcast it forces you to to think about these things in a way that you can communicate out to the world and uh and so I started to think about it in the context of our show which has always been about friendship and sisterhood and family relationship like we can talk about almost everything but we come back to that and i think that's the way i'm looking at this like mother to mother you can look at this sister to sister like what would it be like if every time your son left the house she thought he was going to get killed and that is what it's like so yeah you know when we put together stuff for satellite sisters yesterday I kept saying we we can't we can't solve systemic racism three white girls from Connecticut in a single episode of a mm-hmm. podcast, right. but right. we can acknowledge that we got to do a lot more listening and a lot less talking, and right. that that's how I sort of emotionally or professionally handled it. And we put up a statement, and you know we are lucky, I think, to have had over the years a really great black producers. We wrote for O Magazine. We worked with Oprah Winfrey. So Gail King was our boss there. My sister Liz actually went and worked with Oprah. Like we've had our our entertainment lawyer for 20 years has been a really impressive black woman. We've had a lot of really awesome black women in our lives. And I felt like the best way to think about it was like, it's their sons. It's their (laughs) brothers. It's Mm -hmm. their fathers that are going through this. And that, That that's what makes it hit home. It's not some theoretical person. It's the people you know, their relatives. And what would you do if it was your relative?
0: And even them, like the the harder road that they had to hoe, no matter what, no matter what road, no matter how blessed they were, or you know, and the level of fear that they had to. Like you said, I was listening to you know Ed Bacon from from All Saints Church. He was at All Saints Church for years, and the other night he had an event. He's in Atlanta now, and he had a conversation with Katherine, Dr. Catherine Meeks, who's who um, uh, has a center for um, racial healing, and they were having a conversation about it. And she just very poignantly, I think it was one of the most poignant moments of the evening. She she had such um perfect balance of rage and sadness in her voice right Mm -hmm. like both were equally powerfully present of because she has two sons and and that she fears for their lives every day you know it's and she's running a racial healing center you know and it's 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 just um yeah i i i feel just a, a bit ashamed personally but i'm So I'm trying to get educated and start having conversations. And and a a black friend of mine actually said, she posted on Instagram. And it's so funny because I had gone to her house and was intending to talk to her about it and see how they were doing. But I hadn't because there was a third person there. So I didn't feel comfortable doing it. And she posted the next day saying, talk to your black friends, see how they're doing. Like ask them, they need to be asked and ask them about their, you know, and I think that's, that's like, that's a
1: great to do. Well, um, I found a lot of um a lot of good uh, inten- I found a lot of good inspiration in Michelle Obama's um well almost everything she does. <laughs> Literally everything. Right. Literally everything she does from her the work the workouts she does on her upper body. Her bottom, arms yeah gosh to, to the sound of her voice. Yeah. So but her yeah. message on twi- Twitter is like we have to root it out and do the uncomfortable work of asking ourselves, where do we fit in? And it's super uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. And, and, and I'm ready to be uncomfortable. So for a while, I'm okay. That's
0: such a great sentence. Ready to be uncomfortable. Yes. And I think that, and feel that grief for, for our friends and colleagues, right. And uh-huh. le- literally let it sink in. Like you said, I think that we've all been so intellectual about it. And if it's not emotionally right in our faces, then we don't deal with it emotionally. That's such a right. great, right. That's, and ready to be uncomfortable. I love that. I love that. So tell us, um, so I don't know if you want to, so uh, listener, I am sitting, I'm still in my temporary house. I'm in a, staying in Adelaide Hicks's house. And we mention Adelaide almost every single episode, Ed Bacon and I became closer this year and his wife hope because of Adelaide's funeral in November. And, um, cause he did the homily for that. And I interviewed them for the last episode. That's going to go up. Um, Tomorrow, so we've been we've been invoking Adelaide in almost every episode, and I was telling Leon that since I got here, when I sit on the couch in the living room, the entire room in the living room is lined floor to ceiling with books. But to the left, when you two turn due left when you're sitting on the couch, the book that is sitting on the shelf, and it's really really beautiful, is one of her best selling books, Helen of Pasadena, and um, Adelaide had. Um, a bookmark in it and it's not necessarily where she got to in the book but it's just I just want to read can I read a few paragraphs because it really tells how incredibly amazing uh, this is back to the wordsmith thing right okay so so this is just random kind of in the middle of Helen of Pasadena but it's so beautiful and there's some heart-holding stuff in here too do I have to go to practice? Aiden asked for the third straight night. Merritt never allowed him to skip practice unless the sky was falling or he had floor seats at the Lakers game. Tonight, all I wanted to do was drink the wine and read the pages of the notebooks I'd scanned. The last thing I wanted to do was make the water polo run. Aiden formed the prayer sign with his hands. Please, can't I just skip it this once? Of course he could. We both could. Sure. Sure. But make sure that homework is done. I will be checking. Aiden gave me the doable thumbs up and headed into the house. Juan tooted his horn as he pulled out of the driveway. I noticed Amelia popped her head out of the back door and gave Juan a special send-off. Was something happening between the two of them? I walked across the gravel to meet Rita. She gave me her usual two-cheek kiss and started right in on her plan. We are in great shape. Everything is set up for Sunday. Juan has done an amazing job. It looks wonderful. Super sellable. That's the um, real estate agent. So Rita hesitated dramatically. There is just one thing I need to ask you. Please understand that I think this is for the best. Okay, I answered cautiously. I think you should remove Merritt's things from the closet and the bathroom. I think your late husband was very well-known, and I don't want people to come here to disrespect your privacy, Rita said in a heavier-than-usual accent. I want potential buyers to see this house as a new start, not something cursed or haunted. Please understand this is hard for me to ask. Oh, my God, of course she was right. It hadn't even occurred to me that people might come to look at the house because of Merritt's notorious death out of sheer morbid curiosity. For weeks, I'd only been thinking of the house as mine, but it was Merritt's too, and that— was its own macabre draw. Anyway, you have, speaking of turn of word, you're just, I mean, that's just a random page. And it's so beautifully written. Obviously, somebody
1: has died. (laughs) Tragically. (laughs) Like, run run over by a rose parade float. Run over by a rose parade? Yeah, that's the macabre death. He was sexting his mistress, and he was a white suitor. He was on the little Honda scooters, and he was plowed down by a float, (laughs) That is the most hilarious, especially since (laughs) we all people are going to want to see that closet. Oh oh my god! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that is
0: great. I love it how you you deal with like real life emotional stuff, and then it's just like this hilarious, like oh my god, just hilarious circumstances, hilarious turns of phrases. You are you're really. I love your writing. It's really, it's really the great. Irish
1: way. You know, it's the Irish way. That's what we do, right? We suppress, we deny, we make a joke. I mean that, <laughs> and then we cry. We're the we're the ones crying in the kitchen by ourselves. So those are all those are all part of our experience. Oh, the one last thing I wanted to ask.
0: So, so you're an empty nester. So we have empty nester people listening, or on the verge of empty nesting, or. Many of my friends and colleagues were empty nesters, but now they are not because of the pandemic. I so any,
1: any tips for those suffering mamas? Oh, I- I'm sorry. I mean... <laughs> I, I have no tips for you because I'm so happy to be. I mean, I loved being a mother and I love my sons. But after when I had one who was like, did a gap year and then he went to school locally here at Art Center, they don't have any dorms. So we then he lived with us. So I had like a 21 year old living here. I didn't want that. So when the two of them were off, finally, I was happy. No one was happier than me. I mean, I love them, they're great. They're better off, we're all better off. In fact, my son is graduating this year. Uh, You know, He's one of those, the poor class of 2020, but he's been interning up at school in the media department. He was interning all year and now it turns out he's like running the Zoom program for the entire university. So they actually asked him to stay on. And I was like, please, yes, stay on. (laughs) No, no, don't come home and be unemployed in your childhood bedroom. I don't think that's good for anybody, I really don't, so I mean, so that's i like oh my God, and my, my other son is a photographer, and so his work has dried up, and I'm like, this this can you still pay the rent like can you can you take portraits, those pictures of people on their porches? I know that's beneath you, but uh, just so you can pay the rent, No, I mean, I love them, but I have enjoyed the emptiness. I have to tell you it's I feel like I earned it. Uh, I worked a lot of years around their schedule. You know, when we did that crazy radio show, the hours were early. I was—I felt like I didn't sleep for a decade running back and forth to not water polo practice, but every other practices and stuff. And so I feel like I earned it. And, you know, my husband and I have really enjoyed it. We have a new dog. We love her. She's our favorite child now. <laughs> um, so... I took up ballroom dancing, like I do ballroom dancing now, and I'm- Oh my God, wait, is your husband not doing it with you? No, no, I go to a real (laughs) professional dance, he doesn't want to dance with me, I go to a real professional dance teacher, and then I'm in like a middle-aged ladies dance troupe, and we perform, and we do Broadway, and you know, Fosse, and hip-hop, and it's nuts, so I've- (laughs) I'm like, I didn't have time to do that before. Now I do. Uh, So I do, I do love it. So my advice to, you know, the people who are looking at it is really embrace it. I mean, your kids are ready. They're ready to leave. You're ready to have them leave. I mean, it can be a really fun time. That being said, Bridget, I'm going to say this. I am glad I like my spouse. Yes. Yes so much time. Like the first year, the weekends felt like they lasted a week and a half. I was because we weren't running to sporting events or this and that, or, you know, robotics competitions and stuff like that. We're like, my God, this is the longest day. And then we, we, we found like, we just started napping all the time. Like I, we never napped. I've never napped in my entire life. It, like noon, we'd be ready to go down again. Like, like baby. <laughs> like newborns. So I I love it. <laughs> but I like, oh him. My God. I like my spouse. So yes, that's a bread. And having
0: been quarantined, essentially, since August with him. Yeah, you really love your spouse. We really yeah. like
1: each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we joke about it. But I mean, yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't want to learn anything new about him. I, can't, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I mean, it's been 27 years. I know enough about him. I don't feel like we have to go deeper. But um, we're good. So, I think he feels the same, so <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious uh okay, and tell-
0: tell them how they can find the satellite sisters and um what's sure. going on with satellite sisters now,
1: right, so satellite sisters, we post a new show every tuesday and uh and we have been we do, you know, like 48 shows a year. So uh, we're very regular and you can find us at satellitesisters.com or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We're on all the platforms. So everything from Apple to Spotify to NPR, uh, you can find us there. And we have a really active Facebook group, which is a lot of fun. Um, and oh, then, cool. i yeah. We have a private group, so it's private, so you can okay. say anything. Oh, uh, Can I fill out an application? <laughs> can you I have to answer a couple of questions. Yes, there's a some screening questions. You do have to. Wait, well, what was the word that you used that you were going to sign up? I'm going to sign up sign for up? my
0: colonoscopy. I'm going to sign up for the satellite system. Sign I up. Sign it. up yeah. for it.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah, we just want to make sure uh, that it's listeners of the podcast on the page because we feel like we set a standard of respect and humor and uh on the show and and i believe we have this tiny corner of the internet where the same thing happens where Mm -hmm. it's not there's no name calling it's not politics you know people can talk about serious things but it it stays very friendly and that's uh, a tribute to the satellite sisters hood. And then um and then my books are uh at leandolan.com. L I A N D O L A N.com or again you can find them anywhere but that's the best place to find so them. So it's three novels
0: and then the and then the and then um satellites is, and then the you're the best. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Three novels you guys and two of them, LA Times bestsellers, is the, what's going on with the bestseller list now? Like, does, is this happening? Are you on
1: the LA I, Times bestseller I made, list already? I made a couple of weeks of the Southern California indie bestseller list. So Yay. the Sweeney sisters did, which is good because again, none of the bookstores were open. So it's a little incredible. bit- incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. And step back, the LA Times is no longer even really doing their own list. They just repost Somebody else's list, which is they repost the Southern California indie bookstores list. So I did make that a couple of weeks, and I was really happy because bookstore, not that many bookstores were open. So uh, for a couple of weeks, there was hard to even find the book. That's but extraordinary. It's Bravo!
0: No, it's just a testament. As was that little excerpt that I read, a testament to how fun your books are and how great Thank they you. are. And congratulations! And here's to um, you being able to be out on the road and having parties and book events and meeting people soon
1: soon i know right i know yeah. how fun was this to reconnect though i'm so I glad know. you contacted me i Anything. know totally uh,
0: anthony anthony guthmiller is so if from the cancer probably That's from your how cancer i
1: co-hosted with him that event that was he didn't even know it <laughs> he time. didn't know no no i just oh, <laughs> god that is crazy yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anthony,
0: I've had on the podcast a couple times and I had him on right before he left town to okay. talk about the transition of leaving town because Anthony Guthmiller, if you haven't heard that episode, was a the fundraiser extraordinaire for all, really all of Los Angeles, but especially in Pasadena. He could just turn an event into a hundred thousand plus uh, fundraiser with, I, I swear to God, he has magic wands that we
1: don't even see that he's... waving I mean he's great yeah Yeah, he was he's been I've been to events he's thrown and then worked with him on this cancer thing and boom he just did that auction like a pro like yeah he just sucked every dime out of that crowd of (laughs) mom they were they were they were dancing queens he was.
0: Mia, right?
1: Oh my God. Well, I'm so glad that he, he said, and it
0: really, it was like Adelaide was trying to get me to get you on the podcast, but that's he true. Hit me upside the head with a frying pan and say, Leon Dolan. Mm. And it was, it's perfect timing. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for all your work. Thank you. Bridget, this was fun. All the fun that you guys bring to the world as the satellite systems. Thank you. Superheroes. That was Leanne Dolan. Go to L i a n d o l a n. L-I-A-N-D-O-L-A-N.com to check out all of her amazing books. Um, check out the Satellite Sisters podcast wherever you get your podcasts go subscribe to Satellite Sisters and while you're there subscribe to the Superhero of Love podcast Rate, review it and tell your friends about it and if you haven't bought Superhero of Love heal your broken heart and then go save the world please go do that and Leanne's new book that is out now um, that she was just talking about which is the Sweeney Sisters the Sweeney Sisters go find it wherever you get your books Thanks for coming, superhero. Lots of love.